good morning. If you're new to Cornerstone, my name's Brian, and um, one of the pastors here, and I get to continue in our series called Seek the Peace, which is a series that comes right out of a very important chapter in the Bible to us here at Cornerstone, Jeremiah chapter 29. And today, I get to share with you a couple amazing promises that God made with the Jewish people, the ancient Jewish people long ago, but these are the same promises. In fact, you could say it's the same promise that he makes with people just like us, especially at times that are difficult. And so we're going to spend some time talking today about how the exile is a metaphor for us about these different struggling times in our life where things don't quite fit, specifically our convictions don't match the world around us and we get pressed sometimes, misunderstood, different things can happen. And living through exile faithfully and staying involved in what God wants you to be involved in is difficult. And so we need a couple things. Not only do we need a mission that comes in exile, and that's what Gene shared last week, to be present, to love unconditionally those around us, even our enemies. Uh, But we also need a promise to go along with that mission to flourish during these times. And so seek the peace is not just about seeking the peace of the place that we're at, but it's about seeking the peace in our own lives. And that partly comes through this promise. And so I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 11, then we'll go back and place this verse in its context. But many of you have heard this before. This is what it says. So this is the Lord speaking. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you have ever read that or shared that with somebody? Yeah, it's very popular because it's an incredible, beautiful promise that God gives to people as they struggle. If uh, every year Google shares the the most searched Bible verses or Bible quotes in the world, this usually shows up as number two, right behind John 3.16. Number one, God loves us, gives up his son, but then people desire some assurance that God is with us when it feels like everything's shaking around us, our hope and our future is being lost. People need this assurance. It's a beautiful promise. Now, this promise, though, is meant to go with the mission that Gene shared last week from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. So just a few verses before, where it says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So the setting of your suffering, seek the peace and prosperity of that place. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. To thrive in exile, you need a mission And you need the promise. You need both of those things together. Here's what Jeremiah is saying in verse seven. He's saying, uh, literally, you're meant to work and sweat and toil for the shalom, the wholeness, the health, the peace, the prosperity of your city, of Boulder Boulder County, the communities that you live in. Jeremiah is saying, love and keep loving that place even when it's difficult. Connect and stay connected to the people who may not appreciate you, who you may not appreciate also. Integrate your lives, which, by the way, does not mean to conform your lives, but it means to integrate your lives. This can be difficult, and that is why the promise is so important, that as we do that, God is promising, I will give you a hope and a future. So the exile, if you're not familiar with it, was a... um, 70, 75-year season, four generations lived through it, a time 
In Israel's history, that's very dark. Uh, they had been disobedient to God. They had been uh, worshiping other gods. They had been neglecting the poor around them. And so God kind of lifted his hand of protection. And what happened to Israel is what happened to almost all of the small um, ancient nations is they were ransacked and they were conquered by a big bully. And this bully was the Babylonians. And in 586, many were killed in the destruction of Jerusalem. And those that remained that survived the battle, many of them were taken away, walked across the desert 700 miles where they lived in some version between a political exile and a political slave in Babylon. So they're in an unfamiliar setting. They're around people that have different customs they're not used to. These people believe different things than they do about God, about life, about the most important things. And over and over again in the Bible, Babylon is used as an antithesis to the ways of God. So it becomes this image of the things that are against the things of God. And so you have Jerusalem, which is meant to be the city of peace, the city of God. And then you have Babylon. And God allowed the Israelites to go to that place. By the way, the same place, if you remember one of the oldest stories in the Bible, the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember, it's a city of pride. Let's build this up for ourselves to make a name for ourselves that we might be worshipped. And so Babylon had all of these issues along with it that came with it. And that is exactly where Israel is taken. Now, I do want to differentiate something. We don't live in an exile like that. That would be silly to act like our struggles are the same. Except there are some people in our community that have gone through something similar. And so every time we talk about the exile, I think of our refugee families that we love to tell you about. And so we have a number of Burmese refugees that are part of our community, and now we have our first Afghan family that's here. We meet them on the backside of something terrible, tragic, and violent. That's, that's always when we meet them. They've gone through the worst. And because of that, they have to leave their home, and they're one of the lucky ones that makes it into a UN camp that's uh, kind of stamped as a refugee. They make it to a place, but it, it's terrifying. I remember uh, many years ago, we were getting ready to receive our second Burmese family, and I was going to be a part of the airport pickup that day. And I was excited. I was so excited to meet our new family. I was excited to show them their new furnished apartment. I was excited to show the kids all the toys. By the way, we made lots of mistakes along the way. We spoiled everyone too much. Their first Christmas, they had something like 80 gifts to open because everyone wanted to give them something. So we got a little better with that, but I was so excited just to, to welcome them here on behalf of our church and to help them start this new life. And, um, but I wasn't aware of just all the things that had taken place in their life. I wasn't aware that they had left a refugee camp in Thailand that they had lived in for generations now. They had got put, were put on a, a, um, an airplane there in Thailand. They made their way to L.A. They somehow had to navigate the airport and a layover and get on a second flight and make their way to Denver. And all they're told is someone kind will be waiting for you in Denver to take care of you. That's terrifying, right? And you're there with your kids, which makes it more terrifying. What's going to happen to my children? And so um, the family, they... they you know, they come up out of the train tunnel, they're at DIA and they're making their way up and I've got this great big smile of excitement and my smile quickly changes because the look on their face is tired and weariness and they're terrified. And they're holding all of their worldly possessions in a couple bags. One of the bags looks like one of those blue Ikea bags that we get when you go shopping. Remember that Ikea, the place of hell where couples go to fight? Okay. That's how I think of Ikea. Never go there with your spouse, ever. Spend way too much money. 
and then you'll go to counseling. But they come up out of the tunnel with a bag that looks just like that and a plastic bag that's wrapped in duct tape. It was Tommy Boy style. I mean, this is how they came out of the tunnel, but the looks on their face, you know these people have suffered. And they're not healthy. See, that's a closer experience than anything we'll have to what the exiles in Israel and that had moved to Babylon had to live through. And God is telling people like that, Seek the peace and prosperity of that place, but remember, I have a hope and a future for you. I mean, if you place those two verses together in their context, it's a beautiful but very, very challenging message. So the benefit of studying the exile for people like us is it becomes that metaphor for our struggles in life. And, and, you know, we may never be taken away like our refugee families were from their home and have to settle down somewhere else and go through that whole thing. But we're constantly finding ourselves dislocated from our values and are uh, disconnected from the things that we find familiar. Eugene Peterson doesn't say it's not just about being uncomfortable. You literally are dislocated, taken apart. It's painful from the way you wish life was. So let me give you a few examples of how exile may show up, may show up in your life. There's about a 30% chance that at some point in your life, you will get very, very sick. And when you get very, very sick, you'll either live with chronic pain or chronic health issues, or that sickness may eventually take your life. And if it's not you that has to live through that type of pain, there's about a 30% chance that someone in your family or someone that you love will go through that. Isn't that a season of exile? Watching someone suffer and be sick? We have families right now who are going through that. Uh, if you're lucky enough to avoid that kind of exile, you will probably live through something like a divorce or significant relational challenges. You'll lose a job, different things. People are assaulted. Terrible things happen in life. And one of the problems with the modern world is we tell our kids, hey, what you should do is seek your happiness. And the danger with that is happiness is circumstantial. What we should be doing with our kids is helping make them strong so that they can face life's storms and thrive in exile because it's coming. You enjoy your happiness, but it's hard to have that be a goal in life because there's so many things that are outside of our control. And so we never choose exile, but it's part of life. And so it's an important part of faith. And again, we need both a mission and we need a promise during exile. All right, I wanna go back to Jeremiah 29 and I wanna read these two verses that we started with in its context, all right? So I'm gonna start in verse four. So, before this, it's just saying, here's the name of the messengers that are bringing the, the message for Jeremiah, and here's the letter that they're bringing. It starts this way. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and to eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets or diviners, diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Okay, before I go on to verse 10, let me say a little bit about this lie that Jeremiah is addressing. There were religious leaders like Jeremiah who were taken into exile. They were there with the people crossing the desert. Jeremiah is left back in Jerusalem. So he sends a letter that has to travel the distance of that desert to go to people that he is not with. 
But there were spiritual leaders there with the Israelites. And these leaders were telling them things that were not true. And this is what they were telling them. Don't, uh, don't set roots. Don't build relationships with these people because the exile is going to be over quickly. This is so unfair. Have pity on yourselves. Feel sorry for everyone else around you. And just wait. God is going to rescue you soon. And Jeremiah has to step in. And it's one of the points of the letter as to say it is not true. God's allowing this to happen. Which is also a good reminder. A lot of times we're with people who are in exile and we want to help them. We say, oh, it's going to be over quick. Or it's going to be easy. That's usually not the case. So Jeremiah says, actually, these false teachers are very, very dangerous. They are giving you a different vision than the one that God is trying to share with you. Eugene Peterson, who has so many great things to say about the book of Jeremiah, if you ever want a good book to read, it's called Running with Horses. It's one of my very favorites. But he says in that book, these three prophets made a good living promoting discontent and merchandising nostalgia. I like how he said that. God's going to take you back to the good old days. But they were false promises. It's not true. And if, but if it was true, think about what they could do. They could live irresponsibly. They could not care about the issues taking place around them. They could not sow into new relationships because the only ones that mattered were the old ones that they were going to return, return to. If they were going to leave soon, what's the point of sharing their culture and their values and their convictions with different people? If they were going to leave soon, what's the point of rebuilding and redeveloping a life right there? Jeremiah steps in and says, it's not true. They're lies. Because God is giving you a mission here, but there's also the promise. And so if we keep reading, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to, to bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and I will come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to, to the place from which I carried you into exile. So there's the promise, but it's not just one promise of a hope in a future. It's several promises, three of them to be exact. So it's a lie that you get to leave soon. Not only that, but I want you to toil and work hard and pray and integrate. Here in this hardest place, I want you to make this place prosperous. And how are you going to do that when it gets hard? Well, you hold on to the promises of God. This is one of the lessons of faith. In the midst of faith, you wonder, is God with me? Do I have a hope in a future? That's one of the struggles. And faith, what is faith? Faith isn't just in God, but faith is in what God has said and in his promises. So he gives them three promises here that they need to thrive. First of all, they're given the promise that someday exile will end. They will go home. They're not just to make a home there, but they literally will be allowed to go home. They will return. Knowing that your struggles end someday gives you hope. It's helpful at times to know that we're not always going to struggle with the same things. Now, God gives us the same kind of promise. It's a promise of rescue. And so we're told that someday Jesus will return. And what does he do when he returns? He brings heaven and earth together. And what happens? Every exile for every person ends. It's amazing. 
Or you could say Jesus takes us through every grave or gets us through every desert. They're all helpful metaphors. Someday there will be a rescue. It gives people who struggle and suffer tremendous hope and faith knowing that God will deliver on that promise. But the second promise here is that God wants to give them a hope in the future, not just in the future, but right now. And this is what we're talking about today. It's not just a promise that the exile will end someday. It's a promise that God wants to deliver a hope in the future, prosperity, peace in the moment. But this has to do with living out that mission, which I'm going to connect here in a moment. How do we know this? Well, four generations of Israelites would live in exile and never return. Ever heard of Esther or Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Ezekiel? Like major characters in your Bible? They were all people who lived in exile and never went home. There were thousands of them that never went home. But did God not keep the promise? But he did. So there's a promise in the present. And then lastly, I'll just go over this quickly. We don't have time today to get into it. But there is a promise of re. Uh, of reconnection, of relationship, of God listening and hearing. There's God, it's really God just affirming over and over again what he's always said. So I'm with you. When you seek me, you'll find me. But I want to focus in on that second promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. Okay, here's the question. How is that going to happen if he's not taking them home? If he's not going to rescue them? So they're waiting for a rescue, they could be missing the hope in the future that God wants to give them there in, a, in that moment. This is what God is saying through Jeremiah. Your hope in your future is connected to seeking the peace and the prosperity of that terrible place. Your hope in your future is connected to putting down roots and getting a job and building a career. Your hope in your future is connected to, for a young man, dating a girl, getting married, having kids, volunteering in your kid's school, Coaching their teams. Someday, your hope in your future will be connected having grandchildren and doing whatever it is grandparents do. I'm not yet one, but it looks awesome. <laughs> a hope in a future is connected to being a part of the local things, a local church, your local neighborhood, knowing your neighbors, knowing what's happening in your community. A hope in a future is connected to getting involved, staying faithful, and toiling in the place that you are right now. Eugene Peterson in that same book says this, the only place that you have to be human is where you are right now. The only opportunity that you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances that you are provided this very day. This house that you live in, this family you find yourself in, the job that you have been given, the weather conditions that prevail out this moment around you. It's so true. This is what I want you to see. God delivers on the promise of a hope in a future through the ordinary things. They're connected here. Do you see that? God delivers the hope in the future through these ordinary things like working hard and having a career and having a family and having children and being involved. God brings blessing that way. And I'll, I'll use, I think, what is really, it should be one of the most obvious examples, but it's being talked about in a different way today in our culture, which is not true. But the benefits of marriage, decade after decade, study after study, you could just, it's easy to find. I've been reading about it now for, seems like, 30 years. You will find the overwhelming social, mental, and economic benefits of marriage on people. 
in comparison to single adults, adults and cohabitating adults. Let me just share a few things about married couples and their families. Married couples and their children are statistically safer, less likely to be victims of domestic violence. The kids are less likely to engage in risky behavior. Kids in families where they grow up with their parents there under the umbrella of marriage are more likely to stay in school, less likely to deal with poverty, and less likely to just engage with at-risk behaviors. We know that um, our kids keep us on our toes, so when I say less likely, it doesn't mean that it's the majority. But it's true. Economically, married couples over a lifetime earn more money and build more wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. The mental health issues of everyone, including the husband, the wife, and the children, are improved. There's lower rates of depression in families where mom and dad are married. There's higher senses of self-esteem and personal purpose shared by everyone. Now, is this across the board? Does everyone share the same amount? No. But these are just these macro studies that show these benefits. When it comes to sex, married couples have more satisfying sex and have sex more often, which is a good thing. And you know, I want to be sensitive to divorced couples or people who are single or kids that have grown up in divorce. Um, listen, those things do not damage you. There are, there are wounds in your life. God is the healer and he restores those things. But when I spend time with my friends who have gone through divorce or they, as a kid or as the adult that was involved, they're some of the first people to say these things are true. They understand it. They're the ones that have had to live through the difficulty of when a marriage falls apart. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make, which is God's simple instruction in life, the simple things, are ways that he brings blessing. Now, there are some people who will be single their whole life are also told that's a special calling that God brings blessing to. But it doesn't change the fact that God gives you a hope and a future through simple things like getting married and having children or having a job. Now, one of the passions that I have is to spend time with men, especially young men, and just tell them about the simple playbook of being a man. You know, there's not a formula to success. There's not a formula to God's blessing. But there are certain things that God delivers on and things that he uses. And so, I, you know, a lot of times I'll spend time with guys and I'll just, you know, they're, hope, they're seeking a hope in a future. But they've been told that a hope in a future is going to come through, like, just wild um, freedom. Not laying down any roots. Not having any convictions. Not having any commitments. And I have to gently tell them that's not how a hope in a future is going to be built for you. It comes through your convictions. It comes through your commitments. It comes through your faithfulness. I tell young guys all the time, hey, there's more to life than getting brand new sneakers or the party that you're getting ready to go to or having a job that gives you all the freedom you want or video games or porn. There's a lot more to life than that, better things. And it's the simple things. What can we see here? Work hard, get a job, have a family. Having a family starts with asking a girl out, get a date. It's terrifying. So I love looking across the table at a guy saying, you can do it. I love looking across the table at a man saying, you can be a good husband someday. In fact, what you should, you should aspire someday to be really good at a job. You should aspire someday to be a kind of person that contributes everywhere they go. You should aspire to be the kind of guy that's a faithful, loving husband, and you should aspire to be a great dad someday. That's a beautiful vision of hope and future for your life. 
Now, it's not just men, of course. I don't spend a lot of time giving women the pep talk, but there are women in this room that do the same. You can do it, because there's this thing that comes, I can't do it, or it won't pay off. And we need reminded of the, uh, you know, I don't like calling them the simple things, but it is. It's the ordinary things that God uses to give people a hope and a future in the midst of exile. Let me give you one more example of this. So a little bit ago, I mentioned our refugee family. You know, they show up at the airport, and they've got this question. They, may, they don't even know the Bible, some of the families. We're not Christians. They've never heard Jeremiah's words, I have a hope and a future for you. Plans to not harm you, but to prosper you. They've never heard that. But they're asking that question. Is there a future here for me? Is there a hope here for me? So a couple of our families have now been here going on 15 years. And I want to show you what a hope and a future looks like for some of them. God has delivered on the promise. So I want to show you a few pictures. Show them the first one here. This is some of our refugee families being baptized in Boulder Creek. By friends that they met here. Here's the next picture. This is Juana, our first uh, mother of the first family that came. That is the day that she became a U.S. citizen. That's a hope in a future. It was moving to hear her just like pledge her, her allegiance and loyalty to a new country, but just out of full gratitude. It was amazing. Here's another picture. It's our oldest son, Lewa, graduating from high school. That's a hope in a future. What would have happened if they just waited for the rescue? Here's my favorite one for today. It's our second family. That's Riray and his mother-in-law. Kame's not in it. It's funny that Riray's taking a picture just with his mother-in-law. <laughs> Cultural differences, of course, right? You know what they're in front of? The house they just bought. How about that? That's a hope in a future. Their oldest son is a freshman at CU right now. Amazing. That's how God gives you a hope and a future. Are there certain things you need rescued from? Absolutely. But the mistake that Christians make is the same mistake the ancient Israelites made, and that is that God will not let me struggle. He will not ask me to work hard. He won't take me down the long road. When has that ever been true of the people of God? If he allowed Jesus to suffer in every way, he will allow us to go through things as well. Jesus being the most faithful man that ever lived. But God keeps his promise to give you a hope and a future. Now let me just talk a little bit how this gets hard because it's precisely when you begin to pour, your, pour yourself into your career or your education or you begin to pour yourselves into your family or you begin to raise children that all of this stuff gets tested again and we're faced with the question all over again, will I stay engaged? Will I stay involved? Will I seek the peace and prosperity of the city? Will I question God's promise? So it's when we start to do these ordinary things that mean so much to us that exile tests those things. Sometimes exile harms those relationships and it can be difficult to stay in that place and hold on to the promise. So let me give you a few examples. So, you know, when you're a parent, there's nothing more dear to you than your kids. You worry about them more than you worry about anyone else. You want your kids to, um, you know, if you're a wise parent, you, you want them to, to face certain challenges. But when you send them off in the day, you, you don't want them to experience awful, difficult, confusing things. So 
You know, the couple things that in our family that we've had to deal with over the last couple years. Remember summer of 2020, all of us remember that. But the death and the murder of George Floyd was all over TV, right? And everyone saw it. And I remember Elise and I talking like, are we going to let all the boys watch it? And I said, they need to watch it. I want them to watch it. I wanted them to feel the discontent of exile. The world is not as it should be. Racism exists. People are being harmed. I wanted them to sit in the difficult place and wrestle with what is it that we're to do? What is our response? Parents, isn't it hard helping your kids work and live through exile? Here's another issue that's um, on just about everyone's mind nowadays. There's, there's not a week, or maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it would be, be an exception if I went through a week without discussing this really important issue that's taking place in our local schools with one family. And it's not just Christian families. It's not just Cornerstone families. There are families all over our community who are struggling with this issue being introduced to our kids today around gender and gender fluidity in our schools. So here's how I want to talk about it because I want to be sensitive because there are people here that um, are living in that space. They are welcome here. We are walking with them. But we are also a church of convictions and we're in our family is a family of convictions. So we have different convictions when it plays out in our kids' school. So we have the conviction that every kid should be treated with love and respect and feel safe. We, do, we have that conviction. We also hold the conviction that it's special to be a boy and it's special to be a girl and God chose our gender. And so we want to promote that idea. And as kids begin to ask questions and develop in life, we want them to hear that message. The way God made you is beautiful, unique, and special. We want to affirm that over and over again. Well, here's how exile plays out. Uh, this is not an exaggeration. There is a full-blown um, attempt and agenda taking place in our schools, okay? We're public school people to teach children as young as pre-K that gender is fluid and introducing that idea to them at very young ages. Now, here's the thing. Even if um, you, we have different views about how adults should live, most parents that we talk to understand that this is a, a complicated issue that adults can't even handle on their own. Why is it that we're teaching it and introducing it to children? It's an idea that's harming them. And so, I'm a parent of four kids that it's in that space, and I'm sitting there saying, exile is coming against certain convictions of our family. What do we do? And there are some people saying, it's not safe to be in that place anymore. I mean, uh, there's, you can read in the Daily Camera, there's a lot of discussion, and they're asking for community feedback right now. Uh, be why school enrollment is decreasing in Boulder Valley School District. They're asking that question. But one of the answers that they fail to present is that there are many people leaving over this particular issue. And not just this issue, but how young it's being introduced to children. So it's an issue that's affecting many layers of our community, which we should all be, we, we should care about. So the car you sit around and we're like, what is it that we're gonna do? What is it that we do when Levi comes home and says, I can't turn my assignments in without putting my preferred pronouns on them? What is it when happens when our kids come home and say, I had to introduce myself in every class today by all my preferred pronouns? We're not ready to have those discussions with our fourth grade son. We don't appreciate that it's being forced to happen um, at school. In fact, we have a conviction that school is a place where kids learn to read and write. Those are our convictions. Now, that's not everyone's convictions. We know that. So there's this thing this exile experience that's taking place in our family as we send our kids to school every day. And here's the question, what do we do? 
So there's not a perfect answer. And Elise and I are constantly trying to lean in and respectfully give feedback to the school and respectfully advocate for our kids. And we encourage you, as you, because many of you come and you have the same worries and concerns. But it's something that we will experience as a community for many years. Exile is difficult. Now, I'm not here to suggest anything the way we fix the school district, but I do hear the words of Jeremiah all over again. I have a hope and a future for you and your kids. Seek the peace and prosperity of that place. Be involved, speak up, be there. Integrate. Do not conform, but integrate. So every time that I want to take my ball and run, which I want to, these haunting words are in my head. Seek the peace and prosperity of that place. You know, it's not fun being salt and light all the time, is it? It can be exhausting. It can be hard. It can be dangerous. But God gives Christians the same mission and same promise he gave the ancient Israelites who are living in a much worse setting than we are. He gives us a mission and he gives us a promise. One last story as I close, just about a hope and a future. Because, you know, many, some of you, if you don't have kids in the school district, you may not connect with that example. But we all understand what it's like to, to go through difficult things. This Friday, I had an amazing conversation that I wasn't expecting. I was in a premarital counseling session with a couple. Usually, Elise and I do it with the couples together, but um, they're out of town, and we had, it was just me meeting with them this time and uh, over Zoom. And I asked... So the, the agenda for this particular meeting is they were spending the last several weeks praying and asking God, uh, what is it, an area of their life that they can grow in as they approach being married? So how can I grow? How can I prepare for marriage more? And so each of them kind of prayerfully in, in a contemplative space listened to the Lord and uh, the, the man shared first and then, and then the, the girl shared second, uh, his fiance. And she began to talk about some things in her past that be, show up as wounds. And she said, you know, I've got this part of me that keeps me from trusting people. And it's not just that I don't trust people, but I don't trust the people closest to me. And I knew a little bit of her story, but she reminded me of it. But she's been, you know, let down and betrayed by her family over and over again. It's just one of those sad stories. Like she's in exile in her own family, which is so sad. And she said, it's so hard for me to know that I can trust him when everyone else close to me, the people that are supposed to love me the most, are always letting me down, and not just letting me down, but harming me. She's a victim of abuse in her family as well. And then she said, and it's even worse, because a few years ago, I was sexually assaulted. And now I have all the things that come with that, and I wonder, am I going to be open and vulnerable to my husband someday? Because those things make me want to feel, you know, it makes me want to close off, protect myself, and hide. And she started to cry. And um, he was great. He just held her hand, and he was there with her. And I, I said to her, I said, I am so sorry those things have happened. I said, you're very wise to consider how those things are going to affect your future and this most important relationship, which is your future marriage. You are very wise, you're brave 
to, to face that and to think about it. And I said this to her and she broke down. I said, you are not damaged, you are wounded. And there's a difference. God heals the wound. God is the restorer. And she smiled. And then I looked at her fiance and I said, you know what happens when you get married? You now become an instrument by which God wants to bring healing in her life. And I was hearing in my head this verse, a hope in a future for her. And part of that hope in the future is healing that's going to come through her marriage. I just looked at him and said, do you see the responsibility you have? You don't have to be perfect, but to be faithful and to be there and to be loving and to hold that wound and hold that space and to help her heal. And it's not your job to fix everything. God does that, but he's going to use you in your life. Do you, do you see the responsibility? And he shook his head and he smiled. And I was just thinking of this passage all over and God has a hope and a future for that girl. And part of it's coming through her future marriage. So we could talk about exile over and over again. It's complicated. School issues are complicated. Abuse is complicated. The refugee families' lives are complicated. But what is it that takes people through those moments and brings them out on the other side? Well, it's a mission and it's a promise that God keeps. Many promises that God keeps. And so I want you to hear that today. If you're someone that's struggling, I want you to hear God's got a hope and a future for you. And he wants to deliver on it, but it's going to be the everyday it's going to be the faithful things, the small things, over and over again. It's going to be the keep showing up, to keep having the hard conversation, to speak up at another school board meeting. It's going to be all those things that God uses to bring a hope in a future. All right, I want to close with prayer and invite you just to go to the quiet place of prayer and bow your heads. And I want to give us a moment just to reflect and listen to the Lord. I think we're all very aware that the world is not as it should be. You know, even the world that we get to control, like our families aren't always as they should be. Not the way we want them to be. And there are times that the Lord allows us to go through these things that we do not ask for, whether you call it a grave or exile or the desert, you never ask for them, and God takes us into that place. And there are times that he rescues us from it, and it's miraculous, and it's amazing, and we thank him for it. But more often than not, what he promises us is he promises us his presence there in the moment. And with his presence comes these two things, the mission, to stay involved, build relationships, have those roots, speak up, help out. But along with the mission comes the promises. Someday it will end. But in the time being, I have a hope and a future for you, so stay at it. So Father, I pray right now that you would just speak to every person in this room, that you would give them more power from the Spirit, more vision, more perspective, more patience, more love to stay at it. I pray that our church would not quit. I pray that our church would not conform. I pray that our church would not hide. I pray that our church would not be the kind of church that's against everything, but we would be there as salt and light, bringing blessing. Lord, we need so much wisdom to do that. So I pray that this could be a church that talks about the sensitive things and how we handle them together. Give us wisdom. Give us patience with one another who often see things differently. 
But Father, may we be a church that doesn't just say yes to the mission, but holds on to the promise as we do so. We love our city. We love our county. We love our schools. We love the families that are here. We love the businesses that are here. Help us as your people. Serve every one of those people in every one of those places as you lead us. And so speak to us and show us the way. We love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your mission. Remind us of it this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Stand together.